Jesus talked about it more than anything else. Uh, it was at the center of his teaching, of his preaching. It was at the center of his miracles, um, center of everything that he did. You take this topic out of Jesus and who he was and what he said, and you don't have an accurate or a complete picture of Jesus. Um, we are continuing our sermon series on rediscovering Jesus, and today and next Sunday, uh, put this out there, we are going to be talking about the kingdom of God. Now, for those of you that are sitting there saying, you've talked about this every year, there's nothing more that you could possibly say that could add new insight into this, you're wrong, there, there will be some things for you. And then for some of us, for whom this is going to seem like you've been hit by sort of a two by four outside your forehead because it's going to in some ways kind of shake and unnerve the very foundations of your Christian life. Um, Jesus talked about this more than anything else. Uh, and let me give you an example. Uh, we'll be looking at Mark chapter one. You don't have to turn to it now, but let me go and give you an example of a typical kind of uh, appearance of this theme throughout the gospels. Mark chapter one, verse 14, 15 says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. You guys, look up here. This is the good news. This is the gospel, okay? Here it is. Here's the total, sum total of who Christ is, what he's about, what he came to do. And it says, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. And I don't know about you, but when I read my Bible, it does not say, here's the gospel, here's the good news. Jesus Christ died for your sins, and you can be in heaven with him. Somebody show me where it says that in the Gospels. Maybe you can go to the whole, you know, reference of Jesus and the thief on the cross, and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. You can't connect that to what we're talking about here. The Gospel, the good news, is not you can die and go to heaven. Although, as we'll talk about today, that is a portion of it. The gospel and the good news, Jesus made it very clear, is the kingdom of God is near. So, he says, repent. Uh, we don't like that word, repent. It's kind of like you're fired, you know, brings up same emotional kind of, and we think of this red-faced preacher on the corner going, repent, you know, kind of like you're going, you're fired, you know. It doesn't, and, and what we, we've been saying throughout the sermons, repent isn't guilt, condemnation, emotion, feeling so bad, and I just, I'm terrible. Repent isn't stop whatever you're doing, turn around and go the other way, although I guess an argument can be made, that's partly what it means, but repent is look at the very foundations upon which you're building your entire life. And if it's not Christ, uproot it. And build your entire life on another foundation, which is Christ. Repent and believe the good news. Um, he talked about this thing so often that it's almost like I could see the disciples rolling their eyes. Jesus opens his mouth. They're like, oh my gosh, here goes again. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like. Let me tell you about what the kingdom... And for those of you that are saying, Peter, anybody can prove anything about one with one small verse. Well, really? Let me go ahead and show you 
what the rest of the gospel writers said. And we'll just do a survey. We'll just take one book in the gospels, the book of Matthew. And let's see if really this was at the center of who Jesus was and what he talked about. Uh, Matthew chapter 4 verse 17 uh, records essentially the same thing. Jesus begins his ministry and it says in verse 17, from that time on Jesus began to preach, repent for the what? The kingdom of heaven is near. Uh, Matthew chapter 4 verse 23 and 24 which is summarizes what, what essentially was Jesus' teaching and preaching, it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the, come on, kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches his disciples on what prayer is. And look what he says in verse 30, uh, verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come you will be done on earth as it is in heaven the central thrust of his prayer was that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven and i love that illustration that bono gave heaven coming down to earth and then he goes on in in that very same chapter jesus addresses something that you and i all worry about what am i going to eat what will i wear where am i going to find my job what's my career going to look like the things that we spend an enormous amount of time being consumed with and jesus says in verse 33 6 uh, of matthew chapter 6 seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well jesus is literally saying take all that energy that you spend worrying about things that you don't have control over You can't control circumstances. Oh, yes, I can. Really? Then why do you get so frustrated when you get a flat tire? <laughs> Somebody got a flat tire this past week. <laughs> why do you get so frustrated at people that you don't have any control over? And Jesus is saying, you could spend all kinds of energy and time worrying about people and circumstances. And Jesus says, look, I'm in control of your circumstances. I'm in control of the very people that, that kind of, you know, that you're concerned about. And he says, be about my kingdom and I'll take care of all this other stuff. That should be good news. That should be good news. Because for those of you that are completely worn out and exhausted from trying to control circumstances and control people, Jesus says, number one, you're fighting a losing battle. Stop it. Let go. Give it to me. Be about my kingdom. And I'll be about meeting your needs. And then Matthew chapter 10, Jesus essentially gives the same command or instruction to his disciples. Look what he says. As you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near heal the sick raise the dead cleanse those who have leprosy drive out demons freely you have received freely give the message that jesus tells his disciples to proclaim is not believe in jesus and you can be forgiven of your sins and then go to heaven although as i said that's a part of it he says tell them that the kingdom is near embrace the kingdom and to the kingdom Matthew 13, Jesus gives various parables where he talks about the kingdom in various ways. And again, the central thrust and essentially what he talked about was the kingdom. To which you're going, what the heck are you talking about? What is the kingdom? What is the kingdom? It's not people. It's not location. It's not geography. What is the kingdom? We'll get to that in a moment. Not only was the kingdom of God central to Jesus' message before his crucifixion, but it's the same message that he gives to his disciples 
as he goes to be with his father. Acts chapter 1 verse 3. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the... Some of you didn't know that, right? Jesus said, this is the last message. Here's what I want you to talk about when you go and tell them about me. He says, talk about the kingdom of God. What is it? What is the kingdom? In order for us to understand what the kingdom of God is, we need to go back, all the way back, and try and envision with me what the world creation looked like before sin entered it. The, 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 the Jewish people had a word for it. It's a Hebrew word, shalom. Will you say that with me? Shalom. And shalom literally means universal flourishing. Shalom literally means harmony. Shalom literally means peace, but not inner peace that we think of. Peace as in the world and the created order functioning the way it's supposed to. And the way that God created the world was to function in shalom, where all the pieces of creation and I use this analogy, I think of a fabric. All the pieces of creation are interwoven, interconnected, and interrelated in such, such, such complex and yet perfect harmony that things function the way they were supposed to. So our relationship with God, shalom. We knew him perfectly, he knew us. There was a level of intimacy. We walk with him, no fear, no shame, no guilt. Our relationship with each other, shalom. Universal flourishing, peace, harmony, the way it's supposed to, the way it's meant to be. The created order, the creation functioned the way it's supposed to without tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes and all kinds of things that's wreaking havoc these days. The way that God created the world was one of shalom, integration, interconnectedness, universal flourishing. But what did sin do? Now think about it. Picture this. What did sin do? Here's what essentially sin did. Sin unraveled. Sin unraveled. Sin unraveled what God intended to work in harmony. Sin brought about disintegration. Sin brought about strife, division. Sin brought about brokenness. Sin didn't just cut and end our relationship with God. Sin affected the entire creation so that now no longer are we functioning in universal flourishing, harmony, and peace, but in disintegration. Why? When man decided to come out from under the rule and reign of God, under the rule and reign of God, shalom, world. Out under the reign of God, I want to be God. I take control of my own life. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Disintegration. You know, what's interesting is, you might not think philosophically this way, but you use this lingo. My life is falling apart. Disintegration. What happened to relationship? Oh, it just fell apart. Sin brought about disintegration. Anytime, anytime, anytime God's creation comes out from under the rule and reign of God, result, sin, disintegration, division. Strife. You know what's so interesting? This is so, the Bible's so cool. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. The Bible says that in Christ all things hold together. You, go, you ever wonder what that meant? What's that? All things, all things come together in Christ. So what is the kingdom of God? Here it is. You ready? The kingdom of God essentially was the work of Jesus coming to earth to integrate, to put together, to put to rights all the pieces of creation so that everything functions in shalom. You know what that means? That means redemption and salvation has very little to do with, I get to die and go to heaven. But it has everything to do with 
God's reign and coming and fixing all of this mess of all creation, including social injustice, including decay of physical created order, including our relationship with God, and including our relationship with each other. That's been broken through racism, classism, pride, arrogance. The kingdom of God and the entire mission and message of Jesus is to remind us that his entire life is pointing towards end of history. When God's reign and rule is fully established, Jesus it's here now and a coming fullness that when it's fully established, the result will be redemption and healing of everything, all creation. And can I just be honest here? I was a Christian for many, many years, and if somebody pressed me and said, Peter, do you really get excited about the fact that you get to die and go to heaven? I would have said no. And if they pressed me and said, is that something you could put your faith on and sink your teeth into? I would have said, no. But lately, as I've embraced the sing of the kingdom, I walk out. And I don't know about you, but I could envision the kingdom and the rule and reign of God coming in such a way that I look around and go, there's no more poverty. There's no more injustice. People loving each, our relationship with God perfect. This world created world order being exactly as God intended it to be. That's something I can place my faith on. Mm-hmm. And I can say, come, come, Lord, do it. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You tracking so far? So for those of you that grew up in church that said, I just, the whole dying and going to heaven, I don't know. Good. I said this morning, the biggest culprit of fostering this mentality has been Christian writers. Makes me want to walk into Christian bookstores and just buy some of these books and just burn them. I'm serious. Anyone, anyone want to join me in this book burning party? I mean, these books that literally, this is the reason why Christians in America look radically different from Christians all over the world. This is the reason why Christians in America don't care about racism. This is the reason why Christians in America don't care about the poor. Now, I'm generalizing, of course. I know, that's, I know that you do and so on and so forth. But the church in America has sat on the sidelines. This is the reason why Christians in America have had this mentality. The best thing that could happen, I get hit by a truck and die tomorrow so I can go to heaven while the entire world is sinking and going to hell. And Jesus Christ said, no. No. I came to redeem all of it. All of it. Heal all of it. All of it. And everything that he did pointed to that and saying, you see that? Come to that. All of it. 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 So what is the kingdom of God? Well, for those of you that are eggheads, you're a nerd like me. You like Bible words in Hebrew and in Greek, and you get all jazz every time I, you know, you take notes. The next 30 seconds is for you, okay? <laughs> Here it is. The word Hebrew in Old Testament is, say this with me, Malkuth. Ready? Malkuth. Come on, like you mean it. Malkuth comes from the word malak. 91 times the Old Testament, and the word literally means to reign or to rule. In the New Testament, the word is basileia. Say this with me, ready? Basileia. And it occurs 161 times in the New Testament, and literally means sovereignty, power, and dominion. So immediately realize the kingdom of God is not some nation. The kingdom of God is not geography, location. The kingdom of God isn't the church or the people of God. The kingdom of God is 
Drum roll, please. Here's a definition. Lots of definitions out there. I chose one. The kingdom of God is the renewal of all creation. Say this with me. Ready? The kingdom of God is the renewal of all creation by the re-entry of God's ruling power through Christ's death and resurrection. What is the kingdom of God? Three big components. We'll define it. Look at some passages today. Number one, it's renewal of all creation. By the way, does this excite anybody? Come on. I mean, seriously, for me... The fact that Jesus' mission in life was to come and to heal all things so that when heaven touches down on earth, when heaven, where God's rule and reign is perfect, in heaven, where, where everything is under the submission of, of God, in heaven, where there's no more sickness, no more death, no more dying, when heaven, where there's no more injustice, when heaven, where everything is exactly as God wants it to, when that touches down on earth, we see glimpses. And Jesus is essentially saying through his life and ministry, when he heals somebody, that was to say, when the kingdom comes in fullness, no more cancer. Hello? No more leukemia, no more sickness, no more death. When he cared about the poor and lifted the poor out of poverty, he said, kingdom of God, hello, anybody? Kingdom comes, there will be no more poverty. Kingdom of God, when he forgave somebody and restored the relationship with God, he said, kingdom of God, when it comes to fullness, you will know him perfectly and you will see him face to face. The entirety of Jesus' life and ministry was to say, He came to heal all creation. Now, this is the reason why our church does what it does. This is the reason why we do what we do in terms of being involved in the community and society at large. Can I just say something? Our culture matters to God. Some Christians have said, culture, by the way, this is not going to be on the podcast, okay, because I'm going to offend way too many Christians today, so I just want you to know. Instead of saying our culture is, is, is going to hell, our culture is completely tainted by sin. Where do you see that? God gave us the beauty of culture. And he said, when I come, I'm going to redeem it. And it's going to be beautiful. That's why we get involved in issues of injustice. That's why there's a group of our church folks that went over to the mega mall in Irnola Square to, to, to make sure that there are fair wages and good working conditions for the workers there. This world, this society, our culture matters to God. And what we do is not in vain. Uh, What we do isn't, well, it's no use doing this because when God, no, what we do is something that God says, I'm going to complete when I come. So the result will be, we're not going to be like, oh, that's, we're going to be, that's what I thought all along, of course. Of course. Is that good news? But this means that for those of us that are on the sidelines going, I can't wait till he comes so I can go to heaven, you're missing the train. It's going to come and go. Look around you. Look at the beauty and the mess of life around you. Secondly, though, renewal of all creation is the re-entry of God's ruling power, kingdom. In other words, the kingdom doesn't just have macro implications, like Bono said, but there's also micro implications. What do we mean? The kingdom is first and foremost something that comes within us. His rule, his reign, his healing, it comes within us and does some incredible things. And this has huge practical ramifications for many of us. Why? Because it redefines what discipleship is. It redefines how to be a Christian and what it means to be a Christian. It redefines for us radically what it means to be a Christian and a disciple follower of Jesus. What do I mean? When you became a Christian, Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, you entered from one kingdom to another. You were transferred from one kingdom, kingdom of darkness, where there was a rule, there was a reign, and there was uh, uh, allegiance there. You were transferred from that kingdom into another rule, another realm, another Lord. Now, why is this significant? 
Because here's the picture for many of us who became a Christian. We simply invited Jesus into our kingdom. Our Christian life, this transfer from one kingdom, no, we said, Jesus, come to my kingdom where I'm king. My agendas, my values, my goals, my future, my plans. That's why when Jesus comes and he starts doing something, we get all thrown out of whack. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no. I invite you into my kingdom. And in my kingdom, I'm king. In my kingdom, I rule. Let me say this once very clearly. Jesus did not come to help you be a better king. Jesus did not come to help you be a better king. He doesn't want to be a part of your kingdom at all. If Jesus bows to your kingdom and your agenda, he's not worth your worship. Let me say that with a smile on my face so it's not so intense, okay? (laughs) Jesus... He doesn't want to be a part of your kingdom. (laughs) Jesus did not come to help you be a better king. Can we just be honest? We stink at being kings. We stink at being kings. Come on. Let's be honest. We're in here because our little kingdom is in ruins. We're in here because we're sick and tired of trying to control our kingdoms. And all we have to show for it is a broken life. And Jesus comes and says, that was never meant to be the case. That was never meant to be the case. You didn't invite me into your kingdom to help you be a better king. That's not what I'm about. I invited you to be a part of my kingdom. And in my kingdom... I get to be king. This is the reason why I, seriously, I asked Chad this morning, I need some money to go into Christian bookstores and to buy some of these books. I'm serious, because you know what? A lot of Christian books, come on, a lot of Christian authors, it's just a glorified version of how to be a king in your own kingdom. Seven steps to quick spirituality fix. How to get a good relationship, how to manage your money, how to manage your relationships. Your best life now. Come on. How about God's best life now? Hmm? You and I bought into this hook, line, and sinker. This is the reason why when suffering comes, even though we have a suffering Savior who, who, whose love is not incompatible with suffering, when suffering comes, we go, ah! That happens if you're king and Jesus is simply part of your kingdom. And we think that Jesus exists simply to help us with our temporal problems, you know? So when we have money issues, relationship issues, we just get all thrown out of it going, what is... That happens when you think Jesus came to help you be a better king. No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You cannot receive Jesus as Savior and practically reject him as king. Not the gospel. kingdom of God what does your Christian life look like 
I wonder if there are people in here who are honest enough to admit this morning, Peter, I'm done being my own king. <laughs> I'm done. Seriously, a flat tire just completely throws me off. And, you know, I get that financial crisis need that didn't, didn't foresee. And then all of a sudden, I'm just completely like a total mess. And Jesus comes along and says, never meant to be that way. Let me be king. How are you doing? How am I doing? Third component of the definition is through Christ's death and resurrection. And this is huge, and we'll talk about this more next Sunday. But there's a reason why Jesus came and he said the kingdom of God is near, instead of saying kingdom of God is here. See, he's king, and Jesus should have said the kingdom of God is here, but instead he said near. Why? Because Jesus was making it clear that something needed to happen in order for the kingdom to come, in order for the kingdom to come enter into our world, and that is the death and resurrection of Christ. And so, church, can I just say this Look, when you see the cross, will you see that that cross is so much more than I get forgiven of my sins and go to heaven? Will you see that the cross represents the entrance of God's rule and reign in this world to renew all things? That that cross represents the fact that Christ came not just to be a guest in our home or guest in our kingdom, but to rule over, to reign over and to give us life. And that the cross represents something that, that, that blows us away because it has ramifications for every single aspect of our lives. And that there is something to being a Christian than just being a good, moral person. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus said, the kingdom of God now is here, partially, and coming in fullness. So you know what the gospel writers did? Essentially, the gospel writers basically detailed or gave pictures in all that Jesus did about what the kingdom would look like when it's here and when it's going to come in fullness. That's how you need to read the Gospels. The entirety of the Gospels saying the kingdom of God, this re-entry of God's ruling power that's going to heal all things through Christ's death and resurrection, this is going to come. And as it comes, and when it comes, this is what life looks like. And there's snapshots of it. So, following on this theme of what does it look like when, you know, I'm, I'm a very visual person. And so here's what I see. What I see is there, is a, there was a thin, there's a thin uh, a ceiling or a thin wall, if you will, that separates the kingdom, the rule of God in heaven and earth. And we like to think of heaven as way over here somewhere and earth is here. In reality, the scripture really paints this picture where they're, they're very much like this. And what happens is through Christ's death and resurrection, God punches a hole through this thin wall ceiling. And the kingdom of God comes flooding down to earth. Or, as we'll see in a moment, postcards. Postcards from heaven. Open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 1. I'm going to be quick. I'm going to be quick, meaning these are snapshots. So if I'm going to be faithful to the text, I need to do snapshots. In Mark chapter 1, after Mark announces, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news, Mark, like all the other gospel writers, begins to paint pictures or gives snapshots or incidences that are sort of marks of the kingdom, okay? And essentially it's saying, here's what happens when the kingdom, the rule reign of God comes into your life and into, into the world. Verse 16, 
As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Verse 19. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee. Huge, huge, in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now watch this. Everybody look up here. Okay? Go to the next slide, please. It's a postcard. I know it's corny. But I worked hard, okay? So give me a break here. Or Angela did. When you get a postcard from somewhere, it's essentially whoever went to that town, that city, the country saying, here's what life here looks like. And literally, if you want an imagery or illustration to hang on to, these are postcards from heaven when the kingdom comes touching down on earth, okay? So in Mark chapter 1, verse 16 to 20, here's a postcard from heaven, a picture of heaven. Say this with me. Jesus' kingly authority restructures every area of our lives. When the kingdom, the rule, and reign of God comes down to earth, touches down to earth, and touches your life and touches my life, he restructures every area of our lives. How so? Remember that this is a time and a place in which your family means everything. It's a patriarchal society where family, you have no identity apart from family, you have no success, you have no sense of worth, you have no future apart from family. And vocations, this isn't the days of monster.com. Isn't the days of, I'm tired of making coffee for Starbucks, so this is a time in which if you're a fisherman when you're 15, you're a fisherman when you're 80. It defines you. Jesus comes and says, when my kingdom comes into your life and my rule and reign comes into your life, it restructures everything. How? He's talking to people who found their identity, their security, their significance, their sense of worth, all in their families and their careers. That's where they got that from. And you know what Jesus is saying when he says, I need to be first? I come into your life, I need to be first? Very simple. He says, what you use to look to your careers, your families, and those relationships for to give you life? He says, you got to look to me. I define it. There's a reason why some of you in here are just in total despair. You're angry and you're paralyzed. Because something has gone wrong in your relationship or in your career or in your family relationships. And that's because you have put all your emotional eggs in that one basket. And when that goes wrong, you not only get discouraged, disappointed, your very identity, your very foundation of who you are is completely gone. Who comes first in your life? You could say intellectually, mentally, Jesus is first in my life. He's king. No, no, no. Who comes first in your life? Your life will show you. Life will teach you. Some of you guys, why do you work so hard? Why do you work 100 hours a week? Why do you work 120 hours a week at your work? Is it really because you just want to be a hard worker? Is it because your career advancement and your work ultimately defines you? For anybody sitting out there going, how dare you talk about how hard I work? You don't know what that's like. Uh, I've been to put in long I'm used to putting in long hours. And my wife, who is just in, unbelievable, says to me two weeks ago, in this regard, she goes, Peter, do you believe what you preach? And she got me. Because I too often find myself finding my identity, significant sense of worth in what I do. And Jesus is not 
first in my life. He has not restructured priorities in my life. And for singles who come up to me and go, Peter, what do you think about dating non-Christians? You know, the whole missionary dating, you know. Is it okay to be yoked with them? I hate that word, yoked, you know. It's one of these church words, yoked. I mean, there's a biblical profound word for it, but you know, let's, you know what it literally means? Look, when, I, when people come up to say that, I just go, missing the point. Let me ask you a flat-out question. Is Jesus Christ first in your life? Does he reign? Does he rule? If he does, you know what? No matter what happens in this relationship, Regardless of what happens in the relationship, you will give God glory. That's the real question. Is he first in your life? How are you doing? How am I doing? Postcard from heaven. Kingdom touches down. Jesus says, I'm first. And we see a knock. Mark goes on. Beautiful. Quick. Told you guys it's going to be quick. In Mark chapter 1. We go on and we see another incident, if you will. Another snapshot, another picture. Verse 23. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. What do the exorcisms teach us about Jesus? When heaven touches down on earth, next one please, it teaches us Say this with me. Jesus' kingly authority brings internal spiritual freedom. I wonder if this is good news to anybody. Jesus Christ didn't come just to give us more rules, but he came to be our healer, our redeemer. Amen? That the entirety of Jesus' ministry was to come and say, I'm not just going to come just to give you more stuff to do, to give you more rules and a list of, you know, do's and don'ts. Jesus Christ says, no, I come forcefully. I come bursting into your life, and I come to bring freedom. I come to heal. I come to redeem. I, you know, I used to so not connect with exorcisms before, you know. I, what, what I mean by that is I'd read exorcisms in the Gospels and go, that's interesting, whatever. And I'd pass on, you know, because I could never relate to this whole aspect of being demon-possessed. Although I think sometimes my family thinks, anyway, demon-possessed and losing all psychological, emotional control, all this other stuff. And so I disconnected like many of you. But let me share you something. You know what the implication of the exorcisms are? The implication that the gospel shouts at you and me is this. Look. If Jesus Christ, alternative to having Jesus' kingly authority in our lives is, you ready? That we'll be enslaved to another master. There is no such thing as master-free people. You and I give our allegiance, our affections, our time, our energy, our resources to something or to someone. And Jesus says, if you do not embrace my kingly authority, something else is going to be your God. What is it? What is it? The alternative to embracing Christ's reign and rule in our lives is that you and I ultimately look to something else for our ultimate value, our ultimate significance, careers, families, relationships, you can name it. Ultimately to those things. And what we do is we give enormous, enslaving, controlling powers to these things because we ultimately find our identity as significant in them. You ever know somebody who was in a dysfunctional, unhealthy, abusive relationship and they just couldn't get out? You ever know anybody like that? 
You just look at them and go, do you not see what I see? Why do you stay in that? Here's the reason why. When you find that person to be your ultimate significance, identity, worth, etc., your identity, you have just given the keys to that person. Enormous enslaving powers and authority over your soul. Have you been freed? Or are you slave to some other master idol in your life? Remember when John the Baptist sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one? The following question was, or is there another? You'll never be able to stop just asking, are you the one? If not, okay. If Jesus is not the one, you will say, is there someone else? What is it? You know why this is so powerful? Here's how practical it is for me. My son, Parker, Parker. You know, every time I talk about my son, it's because he, per- he teaches me profound truth. I can't wait till he starts, like, talking sentences because I'm just going to carry a note pen and a paper <laughs> in my mind. You know, children do that, you know, because they speak truth. Unlike us, they get really good at not speaking truth as we get older. Anyway, Parker has this habit. We don't know where he got it from, and I don't know exactly... He will hold something in his hand, okay, like this, okay? And it could be anything. Lately, it's been Play-Doh. He'll make a little Play-Doh, and he'll hold it in his hand for like hours at a time. It's so, it's so nasty. It's like at the end of the day, I'm like, I'm like peeling this thing off of his flesh. You know what I mean? It's like embedded on his hands, and it just, or sometimes it's a tissue paper. Tissue, tissue, just you roll, you roll up a tissue paper. Sometimes it's a, a pen cap, you know, whatever. He, he holds, and, he, and we were at the park the other yesterday, and he will climb these 10-foot, like, like climbing things with this thing, and he will not. And you try to get it out. Like, no! Okay. <laughs> and he's climbing this thing. But the, the, the saddest thing, though, is eating time, meal times, because we sit him on his high, his high chair. And we were saying, you know, Parker, you can't have that plate on your hand because it's nasty or whatever. You know, we're like, you gotta, gotta give it to mommy, give it to dad. And he will. And Jenny prepares this enormous feast, right? Enormous feast for him, a feast for a baby, feast for him. And Parker will not let go to enjoy this feast that his mom has prepared for him. And I saw that one day and immediately C.S. Lewis's analogy that says, here's the problem with you. It's not that we love pleasure. He says, we don't love pleasure enough. We will settle for playing with mud pies when what awaits us is a vacation at a five-star resort. What are you holding on to? What are you refusing to let go because you've given it enormous authority and power in your life to say no? A feast awaits you. No. And you know what God does? (laughs) What dad does is call him Bob Dole and I begin to take... I'm sorry, that was some random. For those of you that are like, what are you talking about, Bob Dole? Ask somebody that looks older than like 35 and they'll tell you, okay? Bob Dole. You know what God does? You know what God does? God will use circumstances, circumstances to begin to help you see what it is that is your true salvation. Okay? Somebody just got it, okay. Okay. <laughs>
Bob Dole was this Republican presidential candidate, okay, who liked to hold on to something in his hand. And I think, actually, it's not really funny. He had kind of a physical thing. And so he held on to this thing whenever he talked on one. So no more, like, laughs like five minutes from now. (laughs) This is what God does and what God has done to me and what God will do to you. He will come and he will begin to show you what it is. And here's the thing. You know what we think? We think, God is after me. God God does, he's angry with me. He doesn't love me. You know what God is? He's not after you. He's after you. He's not after you because he's after you. And he will begin to point to what that is. That is your true salvation. Look. What you're holding on to, you may think it's the end of the world. For God, it's like me and tissue paper and Play-Doh and Parker's hands. It's what it represents, and what it represents is a barrier and a hindrance to what God intends for you. What are you holding on to? Next snapshot. Let's keep going. Couple more and then we're done. Verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. And that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. And, and this postcard, and put that up there, this, this to me is the reason why we do what we do. See that? Say that with me, ready? Jesus' kingly authority brings about renewal to all of creation. It changes everything about why we do what we do. It changes everything about why we do ministry the way we do. Because if at the end of the day, the end of history, the climax of history is that Christ is going to come and renew all things, heal all things, all aspects of created order, all aspects of all parts of creation, anything that we do to bring about healing, anything that we do to bring about integration, anything that we do to fight disintegration and injustice in areas of our society, in our communities, in our lives, is a sign pointing to the kingdom. Where people get to go, oh, that's what heaven's going to look like. Yes, that's what heaven's going to look like. Let me show you a passage the very end of all things, the very end of all things, Matt, um, uh, uh, Revelation chapter 21. This is just so powerful. Revelation 21, verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Will you just say that with me? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Can we just settle this debate once and for all? This mindset that our earth is going to burn up and who knows where we're going to go. God says, The end time, I'm going to renew this thing that I created. For the first heaven and the earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy sea, the unusual from coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a beautiful bride dress for husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and he will be their God. I will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Hallelujah. No more death, no more dying, no more crying. You know what this means? This means that when we work to help the poor out of poverty, it's a sign pointed to the kingdom. 
That means that when we get involved in community issues, when we get involved in fighting for fair housing, for health care for all people, when we work towards a better educational system, teachers, anybody in here, so that the schools in the inner city of Chicago are just as good as schools in the suburbs of Chicago. It's a sign pointing to the kingdom. Hmm? When we work to eradicate our community of racism or injustice that affects the marginalized, it's a sign pointing to the kingdom. When those of you that are politically minded and you work for political causes that advance the goals of not just one group, but the, group, uh, but the overall, overall community, that's a sign pointing to the kingdom. When we as a church work towards bringing racial unity within diversity. It's not just being good Christians. It's a sign pointing to the kingdom when people of all tribe, nation, and tongue will be united as one. When we work to bring different classes of people so that there are poor and there are wealthy who are worshiping together and not treating each other in a paternalistic way, but genuinely sharing out of generosity resources, that's a sign pointing to the kingdom. When those of you that are in field of business, when you don't just, you know, I, I, I get a lot of Christians who come and say, Pastor Peter, I started a Bible study at my work, which I go, great, you know, or I shared the gospel with the worker, great, that's awesome, that's great, I want you to do that. But oftentimes we individualize it. You know what the kingdom is? The kingdom is when you treat your coworkers with kingdom character, with love, compassion, kindness. When people choose to slander and gossip with coworkers, you choose not to, but speak kind words to them. Hmm? But those of you that are in business, and I talked to businessmen this morning, business, and your end, pro, end goal is not just profits and more profits, but your end goal is the welfare, both professional and personal of your workers. Your end goal is not making more money, but the benefit and welfare of the local community and the community at large, that's kingdom. Hmm? For those of you that are in the field of business, can I just speak to you? Uh, I had one uh, young man come up to me uh, a couple years ago and said, Pastor Peter, I'm in the field of business, banking actually. And he said, but I'm thinking about kind of, you know, leaving this and and going to teach English in Guatemala. I said, don't. Nothing against Guatemala, nothing against teaching English. We need more people to do that. But do you know what we need more in this country? We need people who look at money not as an idol or a god but as a resource that will point to the sign of the kingdom to come. Amen? And we need more professionals and career people in journalism, in arts, in, in, in music, in business, in all fields where they can say, the kingdom of is here. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here. Let me get on board with that. I don't know about you, but I, I, this is what drives me. This is what motivates me. This is what awaits us. This is what awaits us. Renewal of all things, all things. So that those rare moments when, when you have your relationship with God exactly where it needs to be and all your other relationships, including your parents and coworkers and families and marriages are exactly where they need to be and things are going great at work so that you feel fulfilled, you know, those like two seconds when we feel that in our lives, you know. The kingdom of God reminds us that what awaits us is not bodiless spirits flying, but the kingdom of God reminds us that way we'll have a relationship with our heavenly father. When was the last time somebody was close enough to you that they were able to reach out and wipe the tears from your face? That's intimacy. And your heavenly father says, that's what awaits us. Everything is going to be renewed. Is this good news? Do you know what this means? Everything you do.
Everything you do, husbands, love your wives like Christ would, that's the kingdom to come. That's the kingdom to come. Everything that you do, everything that you do. And lastly, let's get the last snapshot. And we're done today. Verse 40, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean and filled with compassion. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Last postcard from heaven. Say this with me together, ready? Jesus' kingly rule brings a great reversal, an upside down pattern for life. This part is what we're gonna wrestle with the most today and next Sunday because we are so inundated with the values of this world that we don't even realize we've bought it hook, line, and sinker. What do I mean? There was no reason for Jesus to touch this man. He could have simply said, be healed, and he could have been cleaned. But remember who it is that Jesus was healing. We're talking about a leper. Here's what being lepers, a leper meant in that culture. Being a leper meant that you were socially marginalized. Being a leper meant that you were emotionally disconnected because you were forced to leave your family and live by yourself. Being a leper meant that you were basically forced to live in destitute poverty. Being a leper meant that you were outside from any centers of power, respectability. Being a leper meant that you weren't even treated like a human being. Being a leper meant that you were at the bottom rung of the social ladder. Being a leopard meant that you were nothing, a nobody. And you know what Jesus says? Here's what I think he did. He touched the man and made him clean, and he embraced this leper, brought him close. He embraced him, to which the disciples and everybody looked around and said, oh, no, he didn't. (laughs) And I think this is what Jesus did. He embraced him close, and he said, look around you. You live in a world where the people that are in are people at the centers of power. A respectability, of authority, a position, what you've done, who you are. He said, you've been trained to think so much so, James and John, that you guys are going to argue next week, next Sunday, about who's the greatest in the kingdom. Let me say, that's how you think of power. And Jesus brings this leper close and says, in my kingdom, in my new community that I'm creating, in the church, guess who's going to be in? Guess who's going to be at the center of power? You got it. The weak, the poor, the sick, the least of these. You know why Jesus did that? Because he pointed to the cross and he said, look how I brought about salvation. Salvation was not achieved by strength, by power, by might. That's what they expected, a political Messiah. But salvation was achieved by weakness and service. And Jesus says, salvation is then received, not by those who morally, here's what I've done, not by those, here's what I've accomplished, not by those, here's who I know, connections, da-da-da-da, but by those who are willing to humbly say, I am a sinner in need of grace. I've got nothing. I've got nothing. Jesus brings about a total reversal to the way the patterns of the world is. And you know what's huge? For some of us, we get... No problem with that. I came to Christ and said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm in need. I humble myself before you. And once we get in, you know what we do? Ta-da! I'm in the world now. So I function power, money, authority, just the way that the world does. And it rarely affects the way we live out our lives. Racial superiority, class superiority, what I've done, who I know, letters at the end of my name, they define us, and Jesus says that is completely antithetical to the gospel. You have a Savior who rolled up his sleeve and washed the foot of his disciples. All that power, all that authority. 
I share a very embarrassing story while I'm with this. Your pastor, me. Um, yeah, we'll end with an embarrassing story of your pastor so you guys can walk out here going, he's such an idiot. My wife, many of you know, pediatrician. Every year she has one or two medical students, second, third year medical students that call the office and say, hey, do you mind if we send this medical student to Northwest Medical School to trail, your, you know, trail you, Jenny? And so she doesn't have to do it, but she takes them in and they follow her for about a week, right? Jenny comes home many days and shares horror stories about how incompetent some of these people are. For those of you that are medical students, don't get offended, okay? All of us were there at one point, all of us, all right? Well, recently, two weeks ago, she comes home and she tells me about this medical uh, conversation. They'd even met in a conversation. And Jenny was like, yeah, you know, I was on this phone, Peter, this medical student, second, third year. And yeah, she just showed, she just had this attitude like, oh, you know, and she was like, oh, you only work like two days a week. Oh, wow. You know, that type of thing. And Jenny's sharing this story. And you know what I said to my wife? Your godly pastor, you know what I said to my wife? I didn't say, I did not say, Jenny, the kingdom of God means that you treat her with love. <laughs> the kingdom of God means you use your power, use your authority, use the position that you have to serve her. You, you know what I said to her? I said, she did what? <laughs> you, go, you go next day, Jenny, and when she shows up, you tell her, this is how it's going to work. I'm the doctor, you're the medical student. <laughs> You don't ask questions until I ask you. You do not butt in. You're just a medical student. This is me talking. I'm not even exaggerating with you. This is so embarrassing. You make her feel this big so that she knows who she is and her place. I wasn't, I wasn't smiling. And you could say, well, Peter, you're caring for your wife. Maybe, but you know what? Ten minutes after I shared this, I felt sick to my stomach. Holy Spirit comes and says, you look at the you look at power, authority, privilege, the exact same way as the world does. You serve a suffering servant who used all that to say, let me serve you. And you go, I will. I felt sick to my stomach. How do you see power? How do you see authority? privilege, resources. How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as the Savior who came to bring about a great reversal? Or is there no difference between us and the world out there? Let's pray together. It was very hard for me to share that last story with you guys, but I felt I needed to. I felt I needed to because I I need some of you guys to know who are in the exact same position. You may consider yourself a Christian and maybe even be a good follower of Jesus, and yet when it comes to issues of power and authority, when it comes to issues of values of this world, can we just be honest? You're you're sitting there going, I'm exactly the same. I make casual comments and flippant remarks about people of other race, other ethnicity, of people that I see out on the streets, and, oh, Peter, 
I strive to be in the center, the, the in it's, And you're, you could identify with me maybe. Um, and maybe you could identify with me in the struggle, not just the success and saying, boy, this sucker is hard, isn't it? Kingdom living, yeah, it is, it is. To follow Jesus in all of his ways is challenging. It's hard. And it looks so goofy to the world that they'll look at you and go, what are you doing? And yet Jesus says, that's the reality that is to come when I return. The question is, will you be caught by surprise or will you be expecting it all along? At the center of our struggle is an unwillingness to surrender, to yield. I don't know what that Play-Doh or that tissue is. Maybe it's you, your pride. Maybe it's fear, insecurity. Maybe it's relationship. Maybe it's your career, your job, your future you've said for yourself. But you've come to that place where you're just tired of trying to rule and reign over your little kingdom. And you're saying, God, I'm done. Take this moment just to respond. Just to respond.